Hello, friends and leaders. I'm Jay Delling, and welcome to What Leaders Want. So it's really here that we peel the proverbial onion back on how leadership makes the world go around. And today our focus is on the PEO space, the professional employer organizations around the United States. And I'm, I'm very proud to introduce our very first guest on our very first program. His name is Bill Manus, and he's the founder and CEO of Cindio. And uh, they're an HR outsourcing resource that serves our great Midwest. Bill, thanks for stopping by to talk about leadership. Thanks, Dave. Glad to do. Always glad to talk. I don't know about what, but always glad to talk. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about a lot of things in our time, and we'll yes, we we'll, we'll get to yeah, we'll get to that. So, Bill is an easy guest for our our very first guest on what leaders want. He spent the past. Oh, 23 years in the PEO space, 20 of it successfully building Cindio into what's really becoming a gold standard in the industry. He's done it with great services, great customer service, and developing and, and leading as great people. Actually, Bill and I have known each other for, ah, it's been over about 35 years now. We work together in, in radio. Uh, we're currently active together in the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas, Wichita Open. It benefits KU Wichita Pediatrics. This is a professional golf tournament in Wichita, Kansas, and it's played on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour. So, Bill, how does a successful radio sales executive and entrepreneur morph into the PEO space? Tell me about that. Well, it was really interesting, and I was, it's funny, the timing of this, I happened to be on Facebook the other day, and this picture popped up, and it was actually the gal who introduced me to this industry and uh, gave me the opportunity to talk to somebody else about it. I had become disillusioned with radio, as we remember, that was back in the consolidation days. And I had a lot of different jobs in the same radio group. And if they decided to sell a part of part of the group, you know, a third of my income went away. And I didn't like not having control of that. Um, and so I, I started really thinking about what do I want to do with my future? And, and I was really kind of burned out on radio, been, been in it for a while. And, and I thought, you know, I need to find something that's entrepreneurial, but it's not new. Meaning maybe it's new to Wichita, but it, it, it didn't, they didn't create it here. Um, and we got around and, and this other radio rep from another radio station came by the station to get a dub for their advertiser and saw me outside and said, hey, my husband's looking for a sales guy, and I heard you might be interested. You should call him. I said, okay. So I called him, went and met with him and a couple of other people at that organization and really hit it off with them. And they were in the staffing business, and they wanted to start this new company called a PEO, and they needed somebody to go sell it. And when they started telling me about what a PEO does, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's an easy sell. I, shit, I used to live that stuff in a prior life, and it was like, yeah, I, I'd love to sell those services. And I went to work for those guys and uh, uh, went down the road of becoming, you know, a sales rep and trying to sell this new concept to Wichita. Nobody else did what we did. PEO did not exist back then uh, in Wichita, Kansas. So we were really, um, you know, trailblazing that way. And a year, almost a year to the day later, uh, this gentleman sold his company to a national PEO. Uh, who wanted to have a presence in the Midwest, and he had a big staffing company with like eight different markets. I was the only PEO person, but they saw that there was this great entree into all these Midwestern cities where they had offices already that they could insert PEO into. So I ended up being a part of an acquisition and, and uh, 
going to work for this national uh, organization. And I spent about three years there learning the ropes of what PEO does and how they do it. But I became very disillusioned with that company simply because they were, for lack of better terms, a sales engine, not a service engine. And when you're on, uh, you know, 80% of your income is commission and you work really hard to sell somebody a new concept and then your team doesn't, your, your guys behind you don't deliver the service and you lose a client, you lose income. And I took that kind of personally and they didn't like the way that I was very vocal about taking that personally. So uh, we parted company and I started Cindio with a, a couple of investors that were friends of mine in Wichita that really saw uh, the potential of what it could be. Um, and that was 20, almost 21 years ago in July. Um, it'll be 21 years in July that we started our company and bootstrapped it with two other people and just kind of started going down a disciplined path that we're going to build something that's special and we hope we're successful and we'll find out in the first three years if we are. And here we are 21 years later. So, Yeah, talking about building something successful. Bill, I, I've heard you talk a lot about building your organization through your people. Talk about this philosophy and strategy of, of building and growing your business through developing your people and adopting this adage that you really like called service above self. Talk about that. Well, when I started out, I was, I'd always been a, a big team player. Obviously I was an athlete in college and, and was, came from a team environment. And I realized that my contributions were just my contributions, but they affected everybody else around me. And I really embraced the idea that if I was going to lead a team uh, that was going to be taking care of clients, there were a lot of things I wasn't very good at. I mean, a lot of things. Most things I wasn't very good at. Whatever. I was going to say whatever. I was good at that. But what I really wanted was to have people around me that I could, that I felt like I could trust to take care of our clients, that had a real focus on doing their jobs in an excellent way, so that I could go out and be an excellent salesperson and grow an excellent organization. And really, as time progressed and the organization started growing, I started changing my focus from, you know, getting clients to uh, taking care of clients to taking care of my employees. And I'm really fond of saying that, you know, my only job in the in the company is taking care of my employees. Their job is to take care of our clients, and they do a really good job of that. But my job is to make sure they have all the resources they need to do their jobs really well, and that includes training development, coaching, whatever they need to be excellent. I need to give them those resources. And as time got on down the road and they started being more successful and taking care of clients and we started getting more referrals and we started growing, you know, then I needed to add sales reps because I was spending all of my time. Uh, and it's really kind of a, you know, this Jay being in sales for so many years, you, you build your pipeline and then you start getting referrals and it's like, you don't have to go prospect anymore. Well, I was not only not prospecting, I wasn't even really having the time to faithfully get to all the referrals. And that was shortchanging our business. And so I decided that I needed some help in sales, even though I thought I was really good at it. I mm -hmm. couldn't do selling is not, you know, the guy that sells cars that stands on a car lot and waits for people to walk on the car lot. He's only doing about 5% of the job. Mm -hmm. The other 95% is prospecting and advertising and marketing and all these things you do to get somebody to come see you or allow you to come see them. And I wasn't doing those very well. So I needed to get some help. And, and that's when I really started growing as a company because I got out of the way. And there were certain things that I felt very strongly about, about how I wanted the sales process to go. Uh, and I was um, very adamant about that. We still do them to this day. 
but the real key was is that I once I started having faith in my people and getting out of the way and giving them resources to be better, that's really when the growth started to happen. And I I can only attribute that to if I'm a good leader, what I really recognize more than anything is that I needed great people around me in order to get where we wanted to go. And it was foolish for me to think that I could all do that all myself. Oh, you sound like it's all, all so simple, Bill. And, and oh, yeah. I know there's and and I know there's steps towards that because there there came a point you built the business and and you worked long and you look worked hard. Um but there's a point where you had to say to yourself, okay, this, you, you know, I, I love how I've built this thing, but but this isn't sustainable, me working all these hours and, and me kind of working in the weeds. Right. So take right. us through the steps where you built, prepared, and empowered, and selected your leadership team to take the role of leading Cindio. It, it started when we, I think we, got to about 27 internal employees uh, where we were taking care of about, oh, probably 4,000 worksite employees, maybe. Uh, and a couple of those were pretty good sized clients. So really it was uh, two big clients and a whole bunch. I think a lot of people say, well, why don't you open up in more markets? Why don't you go to lots of different places since you have a really good concept? But it's like, you know what? There are 7,800 businesses in Kansas that have between 20 and 500 employees. I have a hundred of them. Really? Do I need to go anywhere else? Target-rich environment. Exactly. I need to go to Hutchison and Salina and Goodland and Garden and Dodge City and Liberal and you know every all points in between to find clients because nobody's serving them, and they're in my backyard. And so we've made a decision that that's what we're going to do for the next ten years is that we're going to run really hard to be as big as we can be in Kansas. And frankly, I think we're we're on a good path to get there. Uh, and I got good people doing it, so that that's our commitment. And and you know what? It's that laser focus, that narrowness, that really is what makes us is really as good as we are, because we don't go outside of our lane, we don't do things that we're not good at, and we don't go places where we don't know. And and it just makes us better at what we do where we are. Great insight, Bill. So, Bill, now we're at the point in the show where we get to know Bill Manus in 90 seconds. This will be fun. I'm going to ask you a question or ask you to pick between two things. There's no points awarded, no prizes earned. All right. Since you and I share the passion of golf, it's going to carry a little bit of a golf theme to it. So are you ready, Bill? Okay. All right. Augusta National or Pebble Beach? Augusta National. Augusta National or St. Andrews? Augusta National. Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas? Jack Nicholas. Bear. The Masters or the U.S. Open? Definitely the Masters. Uh, been there. All right. Would you rather have the satisfaction of hitting the green on the iconic par 3 17th hole at TPC at Sawgrass or hitting the famous par 5 13th at Augusta National in two? Well, I had played the 17th at the TPC, and I did hit the green, so obviously I would love to experience the 13th at Augusta, <laughs> and at least the chance to try to go for two. That, that would be exciting. All right, yeah. so the Claret Jug is a famous prize for winning the British Open, all right? There are famous stories about how past winners have enjoyed drinking their favorite libations, if you will, from this iconic jug. All right. So you've you've just won the British Open. A, what are you going to drink from it? 
and how much do you think it holds? Well, if I'm looking at it from the from the libation standpoint, the easiest way to fill it would be with a beer. So since I'm in that part of the world, I'm going to have a Guinness. Uh, and I would only imagine that it would probably hold two or three of those bottles oh. of Guinness. But I don't know. So according to 2022 winner Cameron Smith, it holds two beers. <laughs> Every time I get a new employee, I have a little chat with them, and it's about 15 or 20 minutes, and I talk about our culture and our rules uh, and what's important to us and the fact that uh, we really view the world through the eyes of that we we are a family at work and our number one priority is taking care of each other. And if we do that really well, then it allows us to do a really good job of taking care of clients. And then if we're doing that really well, we can go home happy, which means that the reason we go to work in the first place is to take care of our families and happy employees have happier home, home lives as well. So I've worked really hard to instill that in, in the workforce, that we're here <clears throat> to do a job and we're, sometimes that job's not pleasant, sometimes it's not pretty, but it's the job that we've been prescribed to do. And I want you to enjoy doing it. I want you to look forward to doing it every day. And we're gonna give you an environment where you're gonna be fully supported around you. Um, and so I share this with every new employee and I, you know, I don't hear anything back usually. They, I'm not so sure. Most of them retain half of it because it's a lot in a short period of time. But this one particular employee wrote me an email about 60 days into her career. And she basically was saying that I if I thought after that my meeting with you, if it was half as good as what you said it was going to be, I was going to be really happy. Turns out it's five times what you said. Means a lot. Meaningful, isn't it? Bill, that's leadership. That's that's what they call leadership. And and well, uh, it, it what it, what it tells me is that it 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 is my vision of the company I wanted to work at, the place I wanted to go to work every day, is now been embraced by my leadership team, and the next layer of managers and the people underneath them. So it's literally been, uh, it's not anything I can do by myself. It is literally everybody has to buy in and everybody has to be on board with it. And everybody has to support it and, and live by it. And because of that, um, I can only take the credit for providing the environment. It's up to everybody else to live it. And they really have embraced it. And that probably makes me happier than anything. Just a quick follow-up to that. Um, an acquaintance of you and I, Jack Pelton, who used to be the uh, CEO of, of Cessna. Um, Randy Ball told me this story about Jack Pelton Every single day, he would go down to the shop floor and he would spend 30 minutes just walking through it, just kind of meandering through the shop floor and saying hi to Sam over here and John over there and, hey, how's Sally and the kids kind of a thing every single day. And during during his reign, their employee retention was the, the highest it's ever been. And people just talked about how it was a great company to work for because they had leadership that cared, leadership that was engaged. Um, Jack Pelton walked through that floor each and every day. And what he learned he got out of that was engaged employees and he got discretionary effort. And that's kind of what you've explained to me today. And yeah. so don't ever 
you know, take that for anything that it's that it's not. And what what that is, is is true leadership. All right. So I know you're a fan of the quote from the novelist James Lane Allen. And, and the quote goes like this. Adversity doesn't test your character. It reveals it. So, Bill, give us some insight on how important that adage is to you as it relates to making tough leadership decisions. Yeah, we. I've used that quote a couple of times in relation to our team having to deal with some really tough situations. Sometimes you're you're thrust as in your business into a place where you didn't plan on going, uh, and frankly, you had no choice to get there. Uh, in one particular case, we had a third party provider that managed all of our banking transactions, our ACH transactions. It was the automation of our business. And you know, when you're doing payroll for seven thousand employees two to three times a month, <clears throat> that's a lot of transactions and a lot of banks aren't built for that. And our bank had said, if you could find a third party, we would love for you to have that. And so we did. And they got caught up in a, a really bad situation. And as it turned out, with no notice, they literally called us on a Thursday afternoon and said, we will not be translating your or transferring your monies tomorrow. Uh, we are not going to be able to take your money nor send it out. So we had you know, upwards of 35, 3,000 people that needed to be paid the next day and no mechanism to do it. Um, and so it was literally all hands on deck. I happened to be in New York City, walking down on Times Square with other people in the, I was with a peer group of PEOs. And one guy came over to me and he said, do you use this ACH provider? And I said, yeah. He said, we just got a call that this happened. I'm like, you are kidding me. So I called, uh, my CFO said, get on this right now. Stop what you're doing. Get to the office. Get on this right now. Uh, and then my next call was my sales rep, who was best friends with the president of the bank that we dealt with. And I said, I need his cell phone number right now. I need to call him. So I called him, and I'm still standing on Times Square. I mean, if I haven't moved, I'm dealing with this right here. <clears throat> and so we literally started figuring out how we were going to get everybody paid. And we did uh, we went to extreme measures to do it, as did our bank. Our bank, uh, I, I, I am proud to be a, a partner with Fidelity Bank in Wichita, Kansas, because they literally picked up the slack when nobody when nobody else could. And we were their partner, and they were going to help us through this. And what I kept telling my team was that our commitment to getting people paid didn't matter that it was our provider. It wasn't our fault. But it didn't matter. Those people needed to get paid. These people got bills to pay. They've got, they've got their world to worry about. And we're complicating it by not doing our part or not having a partner that could do our part. So for me, it was a, a commitment that I made to my people to say, we got to get people paid. You wouldn't want to not be paid if you were on the receiving of this. So we got to do whatever it took. And everybody, I mean, it was literally all hands on deck. And because of that, uh, we were able to get through it in that day and over the next 30 to 60 days, find a new provider, get everything transferred. And, and it, it was a really, really rough time for us. It was almost the equivalent of getting hit unexpectedly by a hurricane. And then you come home and your house is flooded and you've got, you got nowhere else to go and, and you just go to work. You just go to work, clean it up and figure it out and, and you get through it. And, and to me, the character side of it was that we knew that we were facing adversity at that moment. And and we exhibited our our true character by by revealing that what we were made of to get those people paid. So 
there was another instance that had happened you know, nine months later, a different issue happened and same kind of problem. And again, doesn't test your character, it reveals it. This is who we are, this is what we're gonna do. And it, it really gives your internal team uh, great confidence in knowing that they can handle just about anything. We handled two hurricanes in nine months. And so I would say we've proven ourselves to be worthy. We can handle just about anything. And the fact is, is that, hey, we survived that. Nobody got killed. Nobody got injured. <laughs> we got through it. it. It's painful, but it is mm -hmm. what it is. And you just got to get through it. And and again, I, because I do the least amount in the company, all I could really be was a cheerleader because I don't do any of their jobs. And for them to be thrown into the mess, uh, all I could do was, you know, buy them some pizza, you know, give them some bonuses when it was all said and done. I mean, I spent a lot more money than I would normally do just because I needed to take care of them. And they knew that because it was their job to take care of our clients. And, uh, you know, th that quote means a lot to me. It's funny how you, you have the exact author. I didn't know who the author was. I heard Peter Jenkins say it one day on a uh, golf broadcast. And I thought, wow, he was talking about a guy that got into trouble. And he, he said, yeah. and I'm like, you know, that is so true. It, it hadn't tested. It, it reveals yeah, it. Reveals you are it. who you are when you're in your toughest times. And I thought that was profound from a golf analyst. So. All right. Final Turns question. Out he stole it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, final question. What leadership advice would today's Bill Manus give to Bill Manus 20 years ago? You're on the right path. Now go to work. I didn't know I was on the right path. Yeah. Now I know that. And, and I would say, you're on the right path, go to work. And I would have had maybe a little more confidence uh, in the early days. Um, I might have been a little more focused um, on not being distracted by other things. You know, I was involved with the shockers for a long time. Sure. I think I would, if I if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I would have given that up and gone just solely. I, I don't want to say it slowed me down. It, it probably distracted me enough that I wasn't as, as um, fruitful as I could have been during that period of time. So yeah. that's the lessons I've learned. Bill, I always enjoy our time together. Thanks for sharing your thoughts around leadership. It's been my pleasure. All right, friends, that's a wrap. We're going to put a bow on this first episode of What Leaders Want. Until we meet again, remember, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you, my friends, are a leader. Bye now.